This is like the philosophical question. It's like, how much do you understand about yourself? There were a, a bunch of different opinions that I pulled um, from people's blog posts about like what makes a good onboarding and you know um, kind of the angles you should take. One is make users do something that challenges them, and then when they succeed, they'll be a better user and they'll make it through. Example is Duolingo. One was called uh, Batman onboarding, which is like. It doesn't show up until you need it, you know? And that's like the example of Slack. Yeah. And then the third one is a guy from Atlasin who, um, he was the, the best onboarding as an intuitive product thing. And again, I think that that only applies if you're not introducing new concepts, mm -hmm. like Slack. Slack is not introducing new concepts. But if you have something that's like totally brand new, you're gonna have to do some sort of onboarding process to explain concepts to them and deliver value. And that's, that's the hardest one. Yeah. That's like, those are where startups fall apart. I'm Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. I'm Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And I'm Matt, and I'm a growth hacker at HubSpot. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about user onboarding. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about onboarding today. And we've talked in past episodes about retention uh, a good amount. And if you have not yet, you should go back and give those a listen. Uh, and the reason why we're going to be talking about retention in relation to onboarding is because retention is really the core metric that you need to think about when you're talking about onboarding. And the reason why that is, is that uh, retention is really the Achilles heel of uh, apps and companies that are trying to grow. Be right. It, it's weird because it actually doesn't feel like retention is that number. Like onboarding happens like right at the beginning and retention is something that gets measured a couple of weeks out and you're like, I know these are related, but like, are they really that related? Most people tend to like, you know, treat onboarding as like a way to move their activation event needle. Like, did people get in? Did they do the thing that we consider is the best to set up and get running? But then like a lot of people um, kind of don't put retention into that definition. You know, it's like they're in, let's do some follow-up emails and let's like, you know, the rest of their, you know, the next seven visits or whatever is uh, gonna, gonna make a difference. But um, I think the argument that we wanna make today is that that's not necessarily true. That that onboarding experience is one of the most important drivers to bring that retention number up. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's, that's a very common theme, actually, with a lot of uh, apps as they're trying to grow their community. They don't think about retention right from the beginning. And it's one of those things that just comes back and bites you in the ass unless you're constantly uh, watching it week to week. Right. Um, and so as we're talking about, like the reason why retention is so important for growing a, a, a community or an application or user base, whatever it is, is because if you're not stacking cohorts week after week on top of each other, you're eventually going to churn through your entire user base and you're either gonna have flat growth or negative growth. So it's incredibly important that the users that try your app retain. And they're going to retain because they had a flawless onboarding experience that delivered the core value of your product to them, and they said, "Wow, yeah, I, like I think this. I think that's like that's really the key. Is it's um, like that first time experience? Like it's good. I, I think a lot of people 
uh, like I've heard arguments that suggest that um, that first time experience doesn't necessarily mean like doesn't make or break that retention. But I think the the key piece of that whole statement is like delivering that value that that promised value like upfront. Um, and Matt, what would you consider? I guess like the overarching definition of onboarding, like where does it start and where does it end in this context? Yeah, so onboarding, there's, so there's three buckets to onboarding essentially. Um, the first bucket is if you are an application of some sort that does not require any information from your user for them to use it. Like maybe you're a Chrome extension, for example, and you just work and you just do something to a web page and maybe you show them some ads and you monetize that way, but you're growing your user base and all they have to do is click install. Uh, so that's the first bucket. The second bucket would be if uh, you do require information upfront for someone to see any value from your application. So typically that's a username and password, right? And that's often a problem for people as they're trying to grow their user base because it's often uh, a huge drop-off point in applications on that signup page. Like just asking for any information Yes, because yeah. essentially the problem with that is, hey, we need your email and password, which we're, everyone's sick of you know, having to submit that to use something. Um, and you can't do anything until you give that to us. So that's a major blocking point. And the, the third type, uh, the third bucket would be if you can demonstrate some value uh, through your application and then later on take whatever information you need, such as their username and email. Yeah, it's like um, I've been in, um, well, every company to date, actually, that I've worked for um, has thought of the onboarding process as something where if people, like, they hit your landing page. So first of all, when I think of onboarding, I think of um, onboarding as um, the moment that they hit that landing page. Like, before, like, any account information has been created, whatever, like, the minute that you can say that their journey within your product has mm -hmm. started, and usually that's, like, the decision-making phase, um, I have always worked at companies where the the mentality was like they got to pay to play like they have to submit some sort of information if they want to use something like if they're feeling a pain point and they're like I need to get something done and this application will do it for me they have to submit that information first um, I think now um, especially like with a lot of the research that's been done like uh, Samuel Hulick is that his name uh, Hulick the uh, the user onboarding like expert who's mm -hmm. you know published he's got useronboard.com and he's uh, publish a lot of information about this. Like he kind of like helps you challenge that uh, notion of asking for something first. Like how much can you give back to the user before you ever need to ask for something? Mm -hmm. um, and if you can deliver the value before that, like um, Duolingo has like that onboarding experience is unbelievable because you get in and you actually complete a a whole like mini lesson before you have to create any sort of account. And all they do is like do the thing like it's basically free um without any obligation up until the point where you want to continue and you've already finished like you've probably been 10 minutes in that app already like you're gonna convert at that point mm -hmm. you know you've seen the value because they didn't ask for anything they're like look like we're not gonna lie to you there's no there's no hidden like behind door number two kind of situation it's like it's out wide in the open like we're not gonna charge you to do this like give it a shot give it a try i think those are the best uh, in my experience, and you know, some some applications will not let you do that. Um, like it, it completely depends on what kind of business you have. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like for something like Duolingo, they because everything's kind of like a little module. Like they can they can start throwing things out in front. 
Um, if you own something that's like, I don't know, like a like a big uh, like enterprise like a data organization solution of some sort, or something that's like you know for like internal optimizations or automations or something that's like. Where you're depending on data yeah. from the user or the company you, or something like that? You just can't bring it up front because without demo have, data. Yeah. Um, but like demo data is questionable. Like you don't see a lot of value with demo data um, because it's not your context. Like putting it right. into the, that's where Duolingo wins because you actually have to do the input and everything's under your own context. Of course, you get this feeling of like success when you're done, you know, um, which is ultimately what the best kind of onboarding experience is all about, in my opinion, um, is not only is it um, painless to get through. Painless in, in a way, like, for example, if you're terrible at Spanish, I keep going back to this Duolingo thing, if you're terrible at Spanish, it's going to be painful to get through that. And But, you know, they're going to make sure that it's painful enough that you're still willing to do it. You're not just going to be like, screw this, I don't want to learn Spanish anymore. Like, you know, you go through, it's a couple of really easy ones. You know, you get the concepts, you walk through the, the, the process. It might take you 10 minutes, it might take you an hour. But when you're done, you're going to feel really great about the fact that you just did something that they promised you would be able to do. Yeah. And um, that's the key in any onboarding process. You need to, to feel that value um, on visit number one. You get, if, you, if it's split between a couple of visits also, um, I'm talking a lot about this, but this is something that uh, I've thought about a lot too. Sometimes people sign up for things and the process of signing up is their task. Like, they don't care about getting any value out of it. It's like when they don't have a lot of time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like if you're signing up for a forum and yeah. you can't even view the forum until you sign up. Right. That is just so backwards, right? Why is this the onboarding flow? You, I just enter my username and password and you just throw me out in, mm-hmm. into the wasteland to try and figure this I mean, out, you know? You, well, yeah. I think I think that, like, the, the big takeaway that I'm getting from you, Jeff, and Matt, you mm-hmm. touched on this as well, is, like, upfront demonstrating the value to the user like this is specifically what you're going to get out of it and I mean I've I ran a personal experiment like a you know a low impact experiment and a similar nature with uh, a newsletter and I found out like if you show last week's issue on the homepage and it's like instead of talking it's like this it's we've talked about this before like show me don't tell me you know so like just showing the user the newsletter instead of saying oh I'm gonna do this for you and I'm gonna do this for you just like showing it to them and demonstrating that actually increased conversion a lot. Mm-hmm. That said, I do think that um, there, like the exact opposite approach, this this approach of like mystery around the tool, um, could be effective as well. I was seeing Canva do this. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys are familiar with Canva, but it's it's Guy Kawasaki is tied into that company now. They're basically what he says they're doing is they're democratizing design um, and. They're based out of Australia, and they're 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 creating a like an online web app that's um, like a, a watered down version of Photoshop, something that like marketers can use. Mm-hmm. That would be like their t- so. Of course, people at HubSpot love it, uh, and they had this really interesting landing page that basically. Um, it was like slightly interactive and you could move things around and it talked about design, but it didn't show you any of the yeah. tool. 
I'm looking at it right now. Um, they may have changed it, or mm -hmm. or they're running some sort of test. Um, no, so this was this was not their homepage. This is a landing page from a specific oh, okay. so campaign they that they were doing uh, aimed at enterprise clients. Gotcha. They actually hadn't built the product yet, so this was more of an MVP. And what they were trying to do was gauge company interest. So of course it was sent to HubSpot because it's like you know we want to see what level of enterprise clients we can pull from this. And um, we actually had a lot of people in the company converting without even. Knowing Knowing anything right. about what the product was going mm -hmm. to offer, so I mean, do you guys think that like, uh, and maybe maybe it's a matter of like what stage is your product in, right. like when it's acceptable to do that? But like thinking about those forums, I mean, I don't know anybody that uses forums anymore, but there was a time when I used to use forums, and um, the ones that were completely private, like there were other things that enticed me, like if the design looked good or if it seemed like the community was big or something and I didn't actually get to see any of the content, I would convert almost out of curiosity. So right. do you think that like maybe there are two different sides to that? So you say conversion. Yeah, and, and you're talking, talking about, about retention. retention. Okay. So what's gonna yeah. happen is a lot of these people convert and they come in and they have no idea about what's going on. I would bet that when they built the first version of the product, people are converting and they're like, okay, there's interest here. We have demonstrated that people are curious about what this is, whether or not it's because it like has just enough mystery and enough like wowy things on the page to get them to convert, or if they're actually interested, um, I don't know the answer to that, but I bet their turn rate was high at the beginning. Like. Mm -hmm. You know, they get in, like, getting people in the door is sometimes not a problem. But getting, like, once they get in there, it's like, do you, can you deliver on what, like, whatever their mystery that they promised, you know? Not only do you have to explain it to them first, because they don't know what it is, mm -hmm. really, you know? Then you, you have to demonstrate the value of it. There's, there's a lot of, like, think about this. Like, if a landing page explains what it is and isn't mysterious, you get people dropping off because it's not what they're looking for. If your conversion's high because you're ambiguous about it, and then you explain it to them in there, you're just gonna get drop off during the onboarding process because those same people still aren't gonna fit, right. Yeah. It's a very high risk strategy because a lot of those people are gonna realize, wait, this isn't what I thought this was gonna be right. because you were so vague about it. Yeah, and those people exist, period. Like you can't, there's no way that like, if your conversion on your landing page is 100%, you either are targeting unbelievably well, which I don't <laughs> think is the, the thing, or um, it's so easy to convert, like maybe your conversion, um, metric is like too vague so like everyone's converting and you're like wow we're doing so good but like you're just no matter what crap, you, you do know? you're like i think that what you're trying to get across is that if you're vague and and on the landing page or in the onboarding process or whatever that no matter what you do no matter how awesome your product is right. you're still going to get people that wrongfully converted and thus won't retain right yeah. So I think that there is a proper way to do this. Mm -hmm. Curiosity can be a very effective tactic in, in driving those conversions on your landing page. You have to experiment with it, of course. And when you experiment with that, you have to be, if you're gonna be very vague for one variation, uh, you need to measure the end net result of how many retained users you had a week later versus if you weren't so vague, right? right? You can't just look at conversions on that. Um, and there's a proper way to do this if you're very vague about your landing page, you need to do it in a way that still connects with the actual value of the product. And immediately after getting them through that door, you have to wow them. You have to deliver yeah. on that vague promise. And it can you be- have to it can be on a vague promise? You, you do. And it's it can, like, oh, that value was so vague. That's exactly what I expected <laughs> it to be. You, you have to I'm not entirely sure, but I feel good. It's so, like really- I, I always hate using examples of things that I've personally worked on here at HubSpot, but Sidekick 
is this to the T. Like this is exactly what we do. Um, we're very vague about what Psychic does on purpose on our landing pages. We just talk about delivering relationship context in your inbox. That's what we say. Right. Um, and the reason that we do that is because people don't necessarily, uh, so Psychic is, email, is an email tracking tool. I, I should mention that if you don't know what it is. Uh, but people don't necessarily know why they would want email tracking until they try it. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. It's like it's you know the way that you're framing the yes. tool is not so much around the solution mm -hmm. and what the tool does like feature wise. Is but like, it's the benefit. It's, yeah, it's like it's like that job you need to get done. It's like what am I looking to do? And you know you're like you can do this exact thing you're looking to do. And it's like okay, and then you're like our solution is this product that you yeah. just converted because to. you're almost presenting a solution that a lot of people may not have known existed. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas with something like Duolingo, that's very straightforward, right? right. Or I mean, a, you know, the majority of products that are in the marketplace are not quite yeah. at that level of innovation. It's more that they're solving a problem that people already know how it needs to be solved. It's just what right. solution solves it the best. Yeah. So like that's a good point. Like especially about Sidekick where. It sounds like the what you guys managed to do was you took what people think about email tracking, like what is in like a typical person's mind about email they tracking. They think it's creepy. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's and what people what, usually what you're doing is you're flipping it and you're going, <laughs> you need to solve this problem. Okay, we get that. And then they come in, they're like, oh, and like email tracking has to cross their mind because what they think of like email tracking, yes. you know, you like change the context. Right. People aren't searching for it. And then you kind of do like a, it's not a bait and switch, but you just flip it. Mm -hmm. You go, looking at it from this angle, actually, email tracking is a great solution. And people are like, oh, I get it. And exactly. like, that's, you know, that's that you have to do a lot of uh, research to figure that out because if you, like, what you think people think of your product as might be the exact opposite, it might be completely wrong. And then if you're in a situation like that, mm -hmm. um, like Sidekick is, um, you have to find a way to flip that in somebody's mind in order for them to convert because people won't be searching for email tracking unless they're like, what, a stalker or something like that? I don't know. That's, that's exactly true. And that goes back to those, those different types of onboarding as we talked about Duolingo. Uh, so w with any product that is Sidekick-like where you don't necessarily think that you need it, but once you try it, you're like, oh, this is cool, you know? Um, it's incredibly important that you're able to demonstrate that value, uh, hopefully before you actually require information because you do create that drop-off point. Right. If you're unable to do that, then you almost always need to be vague about it to get them in the door and then deliver the value so that they can try it out and, and have that, oh, this is pretty neat, actually, right. experience. So something um, that I want to talk about is like right now we've we've been talking about um, new user onboarding. So onboarding for somebody that's new to a product or new to an app or a website or whatever it may be. What about um, existing user onboarding when you have a product feature update? Because ultimately that does happen, especially with like larger tool suites, like, okay, we've updated the app, now we need to tell the users about the, the new features that we have. And of course, there are some criticisms around like how that's supposed to work. Right. Like, you know, there's that that saying like, uh, "You um, good UI is is like a joke. If you have to explain it, then it's not that really it's not that good." Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's something too. Um, I just read an article recently uh, called uh, "The Best Onboarding Is an Intuitive Product." Now, mm. I can think of a bunch of reasons why that won't be true. You know, like there's it's uh, like very context dependent, you know? Sometimes, especially if you're introducing new concepts, it's like, 
you can have a super intuitive product, but if people come in and they're like, well, I don't get this, like you have to onboard them. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, when you think of uh, like a new feature update onboarding, what, what do you typically experience? I mean, I think of like, uh, you know, I guess that there are several different progressions to it. Like sometimes you may land on the existing old dashboard and then it's like, oh, check out the new dashboard if it's a web tool. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you have that thing, it's like some type of JS code that they run where it will put blips at like different new areas and you can hover over it. Um, Sometimes it may darken out your screen Mm -hmm. and it'll like point to the different areas. Um, But something that I've been thinking about that, you know, like when, especially when you're onboarding existing users uh, to new features is like, we have this really big proliferation of angst among existing users. Like, you know, you hear about this with Facebook all the time. Right. Like every time that like Facebook updated to the timeline Mm -hmm. and everyone was like, like it just happened one day. I mean, you could switch, you know, like you could get in earlier if you were like some type of. Yeah, they did do like testing for like months before. Yeah, that though. but then then all of a sudden they switched to everybody to timeline. <laughs> and, you know, it's like you hear about it the most because Facebook has so many users, but right. everybody was like freaking out. And I was thinking about like, uh, I, the, you know, what's the proper way yeah. to, to introduce those new features to existing users? I think Facebook is a terrible example because they're not afraid of churn at all. Mm. You know what I mean? They do that and people, this is the, like the best example. This, is, this, this happens so many times, like the new, the new timeline, the new, uh, um, the feed changed a bunch of times. Like they've done a bunch of things that have like, basically, you know, people are like taking out the pitchforks and like trying to run down to HubSpot and be, uh, I mean, uh, Facebook and be like, um, you know, what are you guys doing? And after like two months, maybe, Everybody's it, it like cool with it, down. and they just don't care anymore because they've just adapted, you know. Yeah, because but isn't they're not there, isn't leave. there still a better way that you could go? Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a way. Yeah, yeah, there's a better way, which is why I'm saying don't take Facebook as an example oh, of how okay. you should do anything. But, yeah, yeah, I was using Facebook as an example of, of you know cases where it's gone wrong, though. Right. So, like, what do you guys think? It, maybe maybe we don't say Facebook. Maybe we just say like in general when you're introducing a, you know, an ex- like we know it seems like from what Matt was saying and from what you were saying, Jeff, that like when you're bringing a new user onto a product, the most important thing that you can do is demonstrate yep. the value to the user. Right. But it seems like with a lot of existing users, what we do is we kind of just switch it. So this is actually yeah. a massive opportunity. Mm-hmm. So the biggest challenge with new user onboarding versus existing user onboarding is that you don't know anything about the person when they're signing up, if they're a new user. And that makes it very challenging because you have to ask them and you have to create that drop-off point. Whereas if they're an existing user, you have all these engagement metrics about them. You know who they are, you know everything about them, every button that they've clicked on your app or, or website or what, what have you. And so with the example of Facebook, I think that that's actually a pretty good example and a missed opportunity on their part. It was a failure. Uh, it really did not make people very happy at first. And no one wants that within their product. You want your users to be happy, mm-hmm. I hope. Um, and so... <laughs> you want their money is really... <laughs> I think that's the most important thing. Happy users click more ads to facts. <laughs> I, I have no idea if that's true. <laughs> uh, but you have all this context about these people. And so when you release a redesign or a new feature, if you have that context, use it to your advantage. Like, mm-hmm. if you know that this particular person has this context that they message more than they view their feed, they only go on Facebook for messaging, point out to them, hey, this redesign helps you 
message uh, more yeah. efficiently because X. So there's a couple of things um, that I think about with that. One is that nobody does that. I've just never, <laughs> ever seen it. And it's, it is weird. It's yeah. like, awesome. what you're saying is like, you just get some tooltips. It's just like, hey, or an email that's just like, what's new? And like, you just see it. And they don't really like, pressure you into it or like really so like it's because they, it's easy it's the yeah maybe um they it's I, because I, it's easier to do that and are people you, they might be um afraid of interrupting the person's usage perhaps if you think about user yeah. onboarding with a new user there's a blank slate mm -hmm. whatever you you can get them to do anything that you want and usually that involves like a very targeted very um like, you know, one step at a time process where they're not using the app. But the minute that you're a repeat user, imagine if you um, are on like a design tool and suddenly you log in and you can't do anything else except to walk through this onboarding for a new, for a new product or a new feature, you know? Um, what we do see, and I think that this is like the second half of this, is they notify the user. Um, Google, all Google apps do this, um, where they'll notify with a tooltip or an email and it'll just be like kind of out of the way and they'll be like, look, just so you know, new thing. When you decide that this is interesting to you and they don't bug you about it because you're still, you know, they'd rather you just keep using the product, you know, um, you click through and then they walk you through an onboarding process. Mm -hmm. So in the, that new section itself, you're required to go through some sort of setup process. And it's as though you are signing up for something new except you know, you're already there. So like, yeah. you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna pull you through some of the like the really mundane stuff like, hey, like create a password, you know, it'll just mm -hmm. be like, here's some things you need to know about it. Here's some setup information. Most people skip it, you know, like people don't read. That's, <laughs> everybody knows that. People don't read, which blows my mind that they like still walk you through that stuff. It's like, you know better than that. Which by the way, going off of that, people do not click carousels. <laughs> that is the most common onboard. Like you just sign up for any mobile app nowadays and hey, you have to go through these yeah. six slides to get to yeah. the actual yeah. app. Swipe, 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 yeah. enter. There's a, there's a website, I think it's nocarousel.com. Go there, they have- Should I use a carousel? Yeah, they have all this quantitative data in carousel format where they just say, hey, did you know 13% of people and actually then click yeah. next before you I'm pretty sure I was there, but I didn't absorb any information. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the whole point. But yeah. So I'm going to say a very, going off of what Jeff was saying, I'm going to say a very UX thing. And I, I want us to approach this from the standpoint of the user, mm -hmm. like this problem of how do you properly onboard an existing user to new features and mm -hmm. think like, you know, talking about your, your Google example, um, like wh what is that like for the user? Because I think that a lot of the time when we're onboarding users to new features, if we even do onboarding, sometimes we just flip the switch. We're thinking more like, oh, you know, from the business's perspective, how do we introduce this new feature? But the thing is, to the business, we already understand the value prop. So like, we don't have to explain to ourselves right. why this new feature is important. So we're just like, oh, we can flip the switch, it makes sense, Like, but you're completely neglecting to think about what that's like for the yeah. user. And if you think about Facebook, you know, how many like mommy bloggers spend like hours and hours and hours on that every single day. My grandma, hours, you know. Um, Jeff, like let's say, let's, you know, think about how much time you spend looking at Mixpanel or how much time you spend looking at uh, like su Sublime Text or whatever text yeah. editor. I was really worried what these things on the list were gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> like how many hours a day you spend looking at 
uh, recipes for guacamole. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what do you think I do here? <laughs> yeah, but so you're 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 investing a lot of your time in this every week, yeah. and in a way, it's almost like a digital home for you, especially Facebook, because Facebook is a personal thing. Right. And so imagine somebody coming in to your digital home and like shaking all your shit up. Mm-hmm. Tossing it around, making it look different, making it function different, yeah. and saying, "Oh, yep, yeah, we just did that. Have fun, you know." And Control Z. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. digital. <laughs> and and so the, so it's like I'm gonna shake up your house right. and not tell you why, and and honestly, not even tell you how it provides any any better of an experience for right. you. I'm not telling you what I'm doing for you, but I know what it's doing for me. Mm-hmm. And I probably even know what it's doing for you. I just haven't even told you. Right. You know, so to, for, like to this, from the standpoint of the user, it's like, wait a second, like you just threw all my shit around and I don't know why and I don't think it's going to make anything better for me. Right. And so I think that what we have to arrive at is like whenever, whenever we're onboarding uh, an existing user to a new feature, like those are very valuable users because they've already retained, you know, they're right. like driving your community. Um, you have to... Uh, demonstrate to them that the new feature is providing them a value that is greater than whatever existing right. previous features you had. And like you really you really have to make that clear to them like, hey, you have this lamp sitting in your living room from the 1920s and it lights your house, but it's not that stylish. So I'm going to give you a new lamp that goes with the decor of the rest of your house and it still lights your house, but it looks better and people are gonna compliment it. And like lay that out before you put the new lamp in their house. That's a lot easier when everyone that has that lamp is thinking, wow, that's an ugly lamp. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, when people, <laughs> like if it's a feature that you're gonna launch that everyone wants and the community's like begging for it, then that's super easy to drive engagement for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? if it, like in the context of uh, a lamp that other people <laughs> need to comment on. Um, Great example. I, <laughs> I think that if you've already proven, so first of all, if you've done like the proper thing, which is already proven that like this is a good move and people like will respond well to it, you're not just like, you know, this isn't a test, you know? Right. In a, in a testing situation, we're past the testing, we've determined that this lamp is way better than the other lamp. I, like you might be able to expose the feelings towards that lamp and create some social pressure around it. So instead of just being like, we're making this decision for you, you just make it the obvious choice for everybody else, you know? Like they see it and they're like, hey, I'm the only one in my entire neighborhood who has this bad lamp mm-hmm. and everyone mm-hmm. else has cool lamps and they're all talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe I should switch my lamp. And if they don't, just hope that they're, you know, the 5% out of the 95%, mm-hmm. you know, uh, other group that, that did convert, you know, and that's still a win, you know. Um, I feel like we can, especially with the new features thing, we can kind of put it into a couple of buckets where there's the new feature that's extra. It's like adding a garage to your house, you know. But then there's the new feature that is the whole internal, like, redecoration, which is odd to me. Like, sometimes, like, first of all, I feel like the redecoration you need to be able to you need to be able to really prove that this is like a good move because you're gonna get that pushback once people get used to something um just like a general rule of thumb like the habits are hard to break and changing um changing all the decoration in your house changes all your habits you you know things don't look familiar anymore your brain doesn't have the ability to make shortcuts or use the shortcuts because there's no visual cues anymore you've removed all of the visual cues that help your brain like now suddenly your house is hard to navigate and you don't know why you know um, and those pose two very different challenges. Like the, the garage is like, how do you get somebody to use it? It's new. 
you know, but it's out there and it's not part of my regular flow. And then the redecoration is, how do you get people to not flip their shit and like leave because it's not working for them, you know? Um, or at least, how do you get, like, Facebook doesn't care that much. They just care that you like get used to it. You know, I bet their churn wasn't particularly high. Mm -hmm. um, this is a separate conversation, but there's a lot of talk about like those kind of decisions. If you compound them over time, like people just start to have a bad taste in their mouth and they don't like your app and they look for a reason to leave. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily assume that Facebook doesn't care though, because yeah. like to, to us on the outside, we see Facebook, we're like, what, they have like over over a billion, a billion. or so users. And, and it's like, I mean, that's so big, like they, they don't even care, you know? Right. But I mean, we had a conversation recently about LinkedIn and their user acquisition. And we were saying like, oh, you know, LinkedIn has uh, 300 some odd million users. Like that, you know, they're, they don't care. It's like you, you have 300 million users, like what, you know, they're not trying to acquire users quite as much as, uh, you know, the majority of other sites would. But then we later found out that actually their stretch goal is for the next several years is 3 billion users. So even big companies do have like super, super big, you know, lofty uh, acquisition and retention goals, I think. So I, I think that Facebook probably does care and like they can probably see the major impacts on their retention whenever they do introduce those new features. I'm just thinking that they were having a bit of a hard time communicating the value from the user's perspective, you know? But anyway, like pulling it back, like if, if, we, were, if we were to think, you know, we're talking about two different types of onboarding, the, the new, new user to the app onboarding and the existing user to a new feature onboarding. Matt, Jeff, what would you say are like the big key takeaways for if you're wanting to onboard a new user to a new app or to an, to an app and, and then the key takeaways for if you're wanting to onboard an existing user to new features? Sure. So again, if, if it's new user onboarding, the big difference is that you know nothing about this person. And the key to, to new user onboarding is delivering on that value prop and really, and really getting the dopamine rushing for that person, uh, whether it's like with Duolingo, making them feel very accomplished, you know? Um, and with that, it's always almost gonna be better if you can deliver that value before gating them to enter an email and password. Uh, whereas with existing user onboarding, you have to be a lot more delicate with it, I think is what we've, we've gathered from this. Uh, use the context of your users to your advantage. You know, if, if you know something about them, then pitch the new feature to them in context that they understand. And depending on what your service is, like if you're Mixpanel or if you're Gmail or what have you, where you have power users coming in there for very, very specific purposes, and it is critical to them that they're able to find what they want immediately, don't just re don't just change everything and just leave them to dry out to hang out to dry because if you go there, if I'm going to Mixpanel, I want to look up this very specific thing and I can't find it. I'm going to be really pissed off, you know. So there's a lot of tactics you can use there. You can have opt-ins, uh, you can have those those blip pointers, mm -hmm. you know. The you lazy can, user onboarding. Yep, <laughs> yep. You can do email campaigns. You can do as Jeff pointed out earlier. You can have social pressures around the feature, make it painfully obvious to them that like everyone's using this and you have to also. Uh, and take it even another, uh, a little further back is just like, make sure that it's a move that fits for your business and the needs that your users have. Yes. And I think that that goes back. I think that what you just said there, that's mm -hmm. like the most important part. Yeah. And it goes all the way back to when you even decide to start developing that change. Mm -hmm. right. Like 
the way that you identify the need for timeline or for the you know the change with like the cohort chart in Mixpanel or something like that has to be based off of an existing user pain point. And if it's based off of an existing business pain point, then you have to determine how you're going to to provide value to the user through that change. Right, exactly. Yeah, so uh, users don't care about your pain points as a business. They just don't, <laughs> they just don't care. They and never will. So you have to, of course, make your decision based on that. Um, I think I, so I completely agree. Like, basically what I'm gonna say is like a combination of both of your points. I think for existing, um, on, like existing users, trying to onboard them to new features, um, you, you do need to, one, determine is this a change that actually matters? And so once you've done that, um, I think you can be a little bit more like you've got a lot more leeway because people are already there. Um, but don't the one like thing that I I would be very um, like I have a strong opinion about is like don't block people from doing what they're already doing. You know what I mean? Don't make this like an inconvenience to like to let them know that there's new stuff there. Um, you're gonna have to play to curiosity a little bit or find other methods that are outside of the app to update them. You know um, the social pressures thing. Um, other. Um, mediums like you know yeah. emails or things like notifications but like when they're in the app themselves you, you don't like don't shake them up to like what they're doing because you, you know that's one that might be like a totally botched session like you know they get in they normally do these couple of things instead you throw a bunch of like modals their way to tell them about stuff and they're like oh, I don't know and then they're just like all shooken up for the rest of that session um, and you don't need to do that like it's more about just like knowledge and then um, once they get in there and they've shown the curiosity that they, they want to use this thing, that's when you take the opportunity to do a full onboarding. Yeah, um, for new users, mm -hmm. this is like the philosophical question. It's like, how much do you understand about yourself? Because there are so, like I, I we didn't get to talk about it in this podcast, but there were a, a bunch of different opinions that I pulled um, from people's blog posts about like what makes a good onboarding and you know um, kind of the angles you should take. One is make users do something that challenges them and then when they succeed they'll be a better user and they'll make it through. Example is Duolingo. Um, the other two um, were, one was called uh, Batman onboarding which is like it doesn't show up until you need it you know and that's like the example of Slack. And Slack is a very different beast though. If you think about what it is, you can get in and it's like, there's nothing about Slack that you don't already understand. It's more about just like doing it and creating the habit loop. There's no new concepts there. So they barely have to do any onboarding. They just have to make mm -hmm. you feel good about it. Yeah. And then the third one is a guy from Atlason who, um, he was the, the best onboarding is an intuitive product thing. And again, I think that that only applies if you're not introducing new concepts mm -hmm. like Slack. Slack is not introducing new concepts. But if you have something that's like totally brand new, you're gonna have to do some sort of onboarding process to explain concepts to them and deliver value. And that's that's the hardest one. Yeah. That's like those are where startups fall apart. Because I think that there there are many different like tactical ways to onboard a user. Right. But what we're pulling out of this is that no matter which tactic you use, you have to demonstrate to the user whether it's a new user to uh, you know an app or uh, an existing user to a new feature, you have to demonstrate to them the value that they're going right. to get from it. Yeah, and how do you know that for sure that you've done that? It's research. It's you know yeah. making sure that you've defined the right metrics to measure, um, and that that's like a whole another conversation. But first and foremost, like you know define and and learn. Am I delivering that value on that first uh, experience? And um, your onboarding is going to be a whole lot less painful. Yeah.
So I, th- I think we're running out of time here. Yes, we are. <laughs> we should, we should uh, just pepper in real quick. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. If you want to dive deeper into this topic of onboarding, go to useronboarding.com. But is it user onboard? It's user onboard. User onboard.com, excuse yeah. me. Uh, on there, he just the guy just does teardowns going through popular apps, pointing out yeah. things that only a UX designer. Teardown is really a great notice. name because sometimes he just takes a shit on these companies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the one asterisk there being like, I'd say use useronboard.com. Um, as a supplemental resource yes. because he doesn't have access to any of the data that, I mean, God, I say this all the time, he, but he doesn't have access to any of the data from these companies. He doesn't know how well it's actually working for them. Mm-hmm. And it's all just through observation, like qualitative observation. But it does, I think that the the purpose that useronboard.com can serve for you is it can get you thinking mm-hmm. about the different tactics that people are using. And you can read his comments and understand like, you know what what Sam thinks are are good and what he thinks are bad and why. Yes, that that's absolutely right. Y- use it just as a, a supplement because, like you said, they don't have the data. He's not going in there with the typical context that the actual users will go in there with. And mm-hmm. the thing that just get, like eats me up on the inside is that he does all these teardowns on a massive monitor, and that's just <laughs> not a good example of yeah. like what the experience like, well, is going to be. There's so much white space. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, like <laughs> do it on different devices. Do it on a phone, then do it on a tablet, then do it on a laptop because yeah, if he has yeah. to do it, on you know. Phone, oh man. We could, we could go, next episode, let's talk about different device yeah. onboarding. That's, that's another, so important. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's so. crazy. Yeah. We'll get to it soon. <laughs> it might not be the next episode. Jeff isn't excited about that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, all right, well, we gotta go. Um, thank you for listening. If you have any questions about onboarding or anything you wanna talk about, feel free to uh, send one of us an email. Um, you can get all of our contact information at uxandgrowth.com, as well as all the previous episodes. Uh, Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day.